Welcome to Splainin', the podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but they don't. Nope. I am Jeff Sims. And I'm Evan Smith. Evan, buddy, guess what? I know what. Tell me. Welcome yeah. to season three. Season three, baby. There, there's, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. There's a lot, a lot of new things, as you can probably tell. You can see us. Well, maybe. I mean, if you're in your car driving and listening to it, you can't see us. We hope that you can't see us. Yeah. Well, we hope that you can... You know what? We hope that you actively... Tr- no. No, 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 no. No, let's, don't do let's not, not, do not. Let's not advocate for people to drive while watching videos. That's correct. Yeah, let's not do that. Because they will be distracted. I mean, if nothing else, just by you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this pity <and> this poor <laughs> physique. Oh, that poor guy. <laughs> Look what the summer's done to him. Look what the pandemic has done to us all. It's been some break, Jeff. It has been a very long break. How long has it been? Probably uh, it was July, July, July 8th or 9th or something. It hasn't been two months. It's been two months, Jeff. Wow. It's been like nine weeks. It's been an eventful couple of months, actually. A lot has happened. A lot. A lot. I'm fatigued by it. You're spent. I'm spent. <laughs> like a little I extra was, gray hairs. Yeah, I was put away wet. <laughs> Road hard, put away wet. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Very, very bad. But yeah, no, I'm I'm happy. Like this, well, this week in general is like money starting up. Yeah. It's like, I haven't had, I mean, I've worked a bunch over the summer, but nothing was consistent. There was no routine. No, you didn't routine. have You've just routine. smacked the nail right in the caboose. Right on the Jeff, earth. That's the expression, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah. it goes. So yeah, that is the thing for me that is now like, okay, there's routine. I yeah. have a month schedule. Yeah. We're meal prepping now. Oh, wow. Which if you don't do, you should do it. You're an adult. I'm, I, that's I, I know, I know you adult. guys have been meal prepping for a while. We, but. We've done it, but like we've gotten really lazy with it over the last little while. Right. Um, Which you can kind of do when you don't have kids. Because like it's just like, oh, well, I'll just bring this stupid thing for lunch. Like for the last like four days, I've just had shredded chicken. Right. Nothing else. Just no. shredded chicken. I'll put like Thai sauce on it. Right. So I'm like, it's healthy and there's sustenance to it, but I yeah. won't. It, it's not like, well, I mean, it's not like vitamins. No. Like I'm not, there's nutrients, nutrients, I guess. It's nutritious. It is, in a way. Um, but I'll have carrots. Yeah. This podcast is just talking about... <laughs> <laughs> it's become a foodie friend. podcast. Yeah. Just talking about what we bring for lunch. Yeah. Um, but like, no, it's it's like routines are happening, yeah. and this is part of it. Exactly. Explain this, like I did my research. Yep. And while I didn't have to like, we didn't have to edit this week, so it was like, I felt really on the ball because my research yeah. was done like... Wednesday and then Thursday I did my proofread. I was like, oh my god, I'm so ahead of the game. <laughs> and it's been so long since I've been ahead of the game. I uh I did not. So uh for perspective, today is Sunday, September the twelfth. We're back to recording on Sundays. Yep, which I'm totally fine with. Splain and Sundays. Splain and Sundays. Um so yesterday, um other uh, other other it what is wrong with me other than being september 11th it was a you know brutal day for all we had a hurricane the night before um, yes the 10th and so i had no power in my house for like 26 hours 27 hours a long time it was brutal you did have a modem though don't the, you have like a modem that is battery powered or yeah, something? Yeah, it, uh, it's for four hours. Aye. So I had Wi-Fi from 12.30 p.m. Right. till 4.30 a.m. Oh. Then that went. And then I have a second battery that I popped in probably like, 
midway through the day just watch some like, netflix that was it <laughs> yeah, no it yeah. downloaded like three like, i've got four hours left to do my slating research i'll just go on netflix and download some stuff <laughs> and then didn't do the research um and so then from there went over to Catherine's mother's mm-hmm. and i did my research there last night nice and then i finished it this morning so well, here we are so it's hashtag it's routine fresh. <laughs> it's well you know what whatever works whatever works procrastination procrastination station <laughs> Yeah, sure. Better than whenever I was trying to come up with <laughs> was, desperately. Was, it's like procrastination is the new normal. <laughs> yes, but it's for the best I interrupted. Yeah, I think it um, probably is. But with all seriousness, we hope that you are back to your routines. You're back to your normal back to school or back to work or some back people, to fall. Some people don't even lose their routine over the summer. That's like true. they have like a vacation for a week, but like yeah. their routine doesn't go out the window. Yeah. But we hope we come we slide right back into your routine, right back into your timeline. I like that that was a little bit dirty. Like, no. I hope we slide right back in. Yeah, <laughs> and we're right where we belong. <laughs> On the bus ride or the walk or in between classes or in between shifts or in between shits. <laughs> Splaining. The podcast is in between shifts and in between shits. <laughs> That's I'm gonna put good. put that on a shirt. We should. Yeah. Or like the back of a baseball hat. In between shifts and then on the back it's in between shits. Right. Make shits great again. Let's make shits great again. Yeah. That's, oh my God. That we could just, people, when they're taking a shit, they listen to us. Let's make their shit great again. This is what that I'm is saying. their personalized time. Mm-hmm. Let's slide into the shits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's an app where you. Good segue. Oh, thank you. There's an, <laughs> there's an app where you can, like, every time you're using the bathroom on company time, like when you're working, you track it, and it tells you how much money you've made that you're taking a dump. <laughs> Amazing. And likewise, the company can track how much time you've wasted. Well, you don't you don't share the information with the company. No, but, but they you might have like, it as how well. much you make an hour, and then, like, you right. go, click, click. All right, that was, like, a three- or four-minute poop, or right. 17 minutes, depending on what you ate the night before. Right. Um, if you're shredded chicken every day, you're doing all right. Shredded chicken every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how much dye sauce is going <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, why are we here? Yeah. How did we get here? How did we get here? Well, you know what, everybody? We spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. figuring out the new... Are we going to call it... What are we going to call it? Is it the pod loft? It is a pod loft because, uh, I mean, you can't see the entire uh, studio, but we have built studio and our executive producers are behind the glass there behind the camera. (laughs) And when we say glass, we mean duvet that we hung from the ceiling. (laughs) Yeah, to cover the set. It's, it's like we're in a little cocoon. It's like we're in a blanket fort, though. Like I love a very it. grown up blanket fort. I like it. It's yeah, very good. I don't hate it. But there was too much echo. So we, we just hung some blankets from the ceiling. Yeah. And for those of you who are uh, presumably driving or shitting. Yeah. Um, well, if you're know, shitting, you could be watching. Who's kidding who? Yeah. I was yeah, going to say, so go, step go up. check it out. And yeah. eventually we're going to do like a welcome to my crib. But it's like a 8 by 15 <laughs> fort made of <laughs> cushions and blankets so welcome to my fort yeah. and when we say crib we mean like a bassinet yeah. <laughs> that jeff and i <laughs> go to sleep in yeah. each night yeah uh, so that's great bleak. we're happy to be back i'm happy to to get this going again for two months it's been a long time and and i hope that you as well evan you know, yeah it was a welcome break oh <laughs> <laughs> but i am i am glad it that was is a healthy beat thank you i'm glad i'm glad we're back Me and too. uh and i'm excited for what season three is to bring because i think season three usually when it comes to things yeah like is a is a hitter out of the park situation because like you've had one, the character development yeah yeah the narrative is moving they've learned what the audience is like and what they don't like mm-hmm. um like friends season three is great Yep. How much your mother season three is great. Yeah. 
Manifest season three is terrible. What is Manifest? The worst show on the planet. Oh. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to ruin it. Sorry, Catherine. Sorry, anybody who enjoys it. It's a shit show. Is it like a plane crash situation? Yes. So it's lost, but it's a crappy version? Yeah. Actually, okay. you know what? It's it's lost without a budget. The budget was lost. Right. <laughs> it's not good. Nice. Do you want to? Do you want the whole plot top to top to bottom? Not really. I would okay. like. I'm intrigued. Okay. Just I'll give you. Lot. I'll give you the Coles notes. Right. Uh, plane takes off from Jamaica to head back to the states. Okay. Uh, they go through this weird, like turbulence, scary part. They land. When they land, there's all these like police officers and stuff. They're like WTF. They get out and they're like, "What's going on? Why are we? Why are we being detained?" And they're like, "Your flight took off October seventeenth, two thousand and eight. It's now November 2nd, 2018. It was like missing for like five or ten years or something. Um, But to them... Bermuda Tentacle style? (laughs) Yeah, but... They they drove through the Bermuda Tentacle and then... Exactly. They were like, wait, time has elapsed. Exactly. Okay. But they didn't change, but the rest of the world kept going on. So now they're trying to fit back into society, into their lives where people who they've loved and family members have just moved on with life and they're trying to reestablish themselves. So it sounds like a great plot to begin with. The first like half a dozen episodes, you're like... I like this. I feel like it would tire It easy. goes yeah. downhill so fast because then they gain superpowers. No. And by superpowers, not like strength, invisibility. They get these like, and they end up calling them callings, where they like hear things and like see visions and they have to go solve the problems. It's like a like a like an adult blues clues. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It's, anyways, the acting is terrible. Mail time, mail time, mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wake my tail. When it comes, I want to yell. We sang that in pretty much tritones the whole time. Uh, we did that on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just not a great show. So don't go watch it. Instead, watch us. And now you can. And now you can. I mean... We well, haven't decided that. <laughs> can they? There will be clips. There will be clips. If we do something particularly funny, yeah. then we'll be like, hey, look, click on this. We're great. If we don't, we won't upload anything. Yes. But eventually, we'll probably upload the full episode. And you can go watch the entirety of the episode, probably on YouTube. Probably on the tube. Um, probably on my face page. Maybe on Amazon Prime. On Netflix, it's going to be uploaded. Yeah, we have to we have to pick which platform. They're all sort of fighting over at the moment. Yeah, and we also don't know whether we're going to do it. I mean, we're going to do it. But we don't know when it's going to happen. Correct. Chances are it won't be this one. So everything we've said so far about like you could be watching us, you won't be. You know what? Go enjoy your shit. Sans Evan and Jeff this week. No, no, no. Sans us visually, audibly, we're with you in your spheres. <laughs> you can do it. There's nothing for anybody out there who has children. Sometimes I laugh out loud while I'm like prep talking Harrison during a poop. Because like, it's literally this. Like you have no concept of this. And I didn't either until I had kids or like kids who went potty. But it's like, you got this button. You can do it. And he's like, I'm like, get the poop out of there. Come on, poop. Come on, poop. Come on. Like that's what literally what it's like. So, But like, they know that they have to poop and they've pooped many a times. Every time it's a struggle. Is it like, let's not go into too much detail, but like, is it the mechanics? Is it psychologically that they are pooping in a potty and therefore it's more uh, difficult? I don't know. I mean, he's pooped in a potty for the last like six months without yeah. fail. So I don't know what it is, but it's just like, if I don't know, maybe their poop is firmer or something. Like, mm. it, like I don't know. Like diet changes. Also, what if it, there's something too, 
the whole, I don't know if I want to call it myth or not, but like, you know, the poopy potty thing where you put your legs up and your knees are up higher? Squatty potty. Squatty potty. Yeah. Squatty potty. Um, because they can't touch the ground. Well, oh, oh, you, mm, but like, are, are their intestines and stuff just like squat up and it's the first time that's happened and their body hasn't adjusted to it? I don't know, but I do want to get a squatty potty. Squat, I've tried them. It's just, it's just uncomfortable. But is the poop better? It, it's not. I, I've not oh, noticed a but difference. But you're just like, your legs are crampy. Yeah. And you're like, So Why? now my knees are up against my chest. I'm vulnerable. I like, it's just, it's not. <laughs> that he's there on the floor watching you because he's always judging with me. you. Yeah. Yeah. Judging me is more like it. Let's move past this poop topic, I think. We circled back somehow. I don't know how or why, but it did happen. I don't. Yeah. I know. I do hate it. Do, do we want to just segue out of it? Do we want to just slide into you? Slide into some topics? Let's I'm get started, about them. Buddy. Well, you know what? It is important to us that this podcast is easy to find for new listeners. Mm-hmm. Help us get to the top of the charts. When you finish listening, go rate and review. Please do. Please. Now, Jeff. Yes, Evan. Would you like to start us off? I give, would give love, the people something to love nothing better than to kick off season three, episode one, a baby. A baby. Um, so, Mr. Smith. I think I'm going to explain to you the financial crisis of 2008. Yes, indeed. Indeed, I'm I will. by it. Yes, and that's not a joke. That's actually what I'm going to do. I know I made it sound like it was a joke, but it's, it's actually the topic I'm going to do. I know. I know. I just meant for our listeners. Well, listeners. Listeners. Um, Can I do this? Is this too much crotch exposure for the video? N- it, it, it might be a little bit too much crotch exposure for me. Hey. Give the people what they want, buddy. <laughs> It's not about you anymore, it's man. It's not about me anymore. <laughs> That's right. We have to shower now. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's probably the best. It is for the best, I think. I think as time went on throughout our podcast, like, I started to care less and less. Like, I would either just, like, not shower, and then, like, I'd wear sweatpants, and then, like... What are you... Is, are those not sweatpants? These are I mean, they're joggers. Nice... I feel like only someone who wears sweatpants every day would distinguish between a sweatpant and a jogger. It depends on whether or not you're sweating in them or jogging in them. You're not, you don't sweat when you jog? Not my legs. <laughs> now that you mention it. I'm just like, out of all the places you sweat, I just don't know if... Legs, legs. Are it. Yeah, okay. Go on. Sure. Please tell me about the financial crisis of 2008. <laughs> I'll tell you the financial crisis after buying these goddamn jockers. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So, obviously, to first understand what happened during the financial crisis of 2008, we first need to understand the financial climate at that time. And even more specifically, like the cl- political climate 50 ish years prior to it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, after World War II, yeah. Okay. The Allies swiftly changed their crosshairs uh, from the fascist Nazi Party to turn towards the USSR and the com- and the fight against communism. Right. Cold War was coming up. Yeah. Exactly. So propaganda stormed the Western world, urging its people to eradicate the socialist commies. Literally. Okay. Uh, their polarizing political and economic views threatened the capitalistic West and became the driving force for the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term Cold War is used because there is no large-scale fighting directly between the two superpowers. No, but I they e- yeah they each supported major regional conflicts known as proxy wars. Okay. Um, so the first phase of phase sorry of the Cold War uh, began shortly after the end of the Second World War. Uh, the U.S. started NATO, and there was a military alliance in 1949. Then there was just an array of battles from the Suez Crisis, the Chinese Civil War, the Berlin Blockade, Warsaw Pact, Korean War, Berlin Crisis, Cuban Missile Crisis. It goes up and down like the dog's stomach. It's just a shame, isn't it? Isn't it? There's that many 
well, wars, I guess. Proxy wars, proxy battles. Yeah, just like disagree, like large scale global yeah. disagreements. But uh, and all it is are these two superpowers just trying to gain influence, right? Yeah. Um, so the conflict was based around ideological and geopolitical struggle for global influence, like I said. Uh, their differences were vast, but could be summed up and narrowed down into two different categories. So totalitarianism versus democracy, mm-hmm. right? And then more specifically for us right now is communism versus capitalism. Okay. Okay. Uh, each group trying to push their influence further and further. Well, we all know what happened. Okay. The Berlin Wall came down uh, November 9th, 1989, effectively ending the Cold War. Okay, capitalism continued to reign, and amongst most of the Western world, and it continued to grow further into developing countries as well. Right. So, fast forward a little bit. We entered the 1990s. Right. Okay. Um, And it's consumed by the dot-com boom, or the dot-com bubble, right? Uh, Where people around the world are being introduced to the internet and e-commerce. Okay. Right? So, all of a sudden, we can shop anywhere around the world, we can go through online channels, and we, we see... Could you shop online back then? Yeah, but it was real bad. Right. I watched a commercial from the 90s where this dog was like a puppet dog talking on the streets on how you could buy dog food online. Right. It was like the first. It's like, it's really silly. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, this new sector and means of commerce, coupled with the Chinese economic reform, truly caused a lot of means for wealth in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Like globally, people just got richer. Yeah, well, because they were able to cut costs, they were able to buy things, outsource things. Plus, like, with the Chinese reform, the the economic reform, now China and their citizens could now invest in the markets. (laughs) And Mm. we had accessibility to their markets. So now all of a sudden, there's just a lot of investment opportunities right so your ability to gain wealth just exponentially right. went the up. amount of hands that the money can change through yeah exploded yeah. exactly so markets were increasing trading mm. increased and there was a whole culture designed and developed centered around making money buying things and being amongst the rich and the famous mm. propaganda swiftly changed from warmongering to advertising driving a capitalistic market to strive for profits and just consuming Right. Right. Everything just kind of shifted. That's where you kind of see those classic Coca-Cola ads and you see all these things start coming in where you're right. like, where if you watch now, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just like subliminal telling your kids to go buy sugar right. crisp like, cereal. Yeah, you'll be happier yeah. if you have these products. Now, that's like a little bit like 50s, 60s. It's like, buy this beauty cream to make your husband love you more. Right. Like, it's not that on the nose, but it's still like, you know, kids right. buying Furbies and shit. Right. So what happens? When you have commercials, books, ads, and seminars telling people they need to invest, buy, and make money, you get people making selfish, stupid decisions. I feel like investing is not selfish. It's not. But when you have a culture centered around you're nothing if you're not making money, and you're stupid if you're not investing, and mm. investing for dummies, and investing in real estate for idiots, and like okay. all these seminars and people being like, sell me this pencil. Right. Like, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street kind of thing. Yeah. It's that, Right. Uh, so this was the cause, okay. in a lot of people's eyes, of the financial crisis of 2008. So, of course, it isn't as easy as saying the Cold War, Cold War and capitalism were the main cause. In fact, understanding the financial crisis through an analytical financial lens is actually quite difficult and well above our means. Well, I think if I had to pick a job I would never want to do, it would be an economist. Yeah, or like a financial analyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would be like, this sucks. Yep. So Matt Taibbi Taibbi summed it up pretty nicely, and I'm paraphrasing. In order to understand the financial crisis more generally, it would be easier to look at it through the lens of a team of fraudsters committing a crime other than a financial market crash. Okay. 
Shall we move on? Please. So how did I it know happen? very little about this, I think. Yeah. So now that we have a little bit of a greater understanding of the climate, which is the drive for profits and money, right? Um, how exactly did this really go on? Yeah. So let's start with understanding mortgages. Yes. Because mortgages are kind of the backbone of what happens. This is, well, yeah. That's yep. the part I understand about. So someone wants to buy a house. Yeah. Right? Uh, they will sometimes borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars from a bank. Yeah. Right? In return, the bank gets a piece of paper called a mortgage. Yeah. Every month, the homeowner has to pay back a portion of the principal, plus yep. interest, to whomever holds that piece of paper. Right. If they stop paying, that's called a default, and whomever holds that piece of paper gets the house. Right. Right. The reason why I'm saying whomever holds the house rather than saying the bank yeah. is because the bank, the original lender who often sells the mortgage to, to them, yeah. they will actually sell that mortgage to a third party. And it's, it's not often just once in a while. It happens all of the time. Like another company? Yeah. Another okay. entity or a series of entities. So you could have your house for nine months. Yeah. And within that nine months, you could have three to five different banks holding the mortgage on your house. Really? Because they sell it back and forth. Parts of it, not necessarily the whole thing? No, they will always sell your individual mortgage right. as a whole. And I'll dive in a little bit deeper. Okay. Hang tight. Strap right. in. Yeah. Leading up to the crisis, and even now, yeah. Uh, it's you know it's pretty hard to get a mortgage. Right. If you have bad credit, if you don't have a steady job, it's just difficult, right? Yeah. Lenders just don't want to take the risk, and they're afraid that you might default on your loan. Right. Right. All of this kind of started to change in the 2000s. Okay. Because investors were looking for a low risk, high return investment, and started to throw their money at the U.S. housing market. Okay. Okay. Uh, the thinking was that they could receive a higher return from the interest of people mortgaging their houses than they would off of investing in things like U.S. Treasury bonds, which were paying like really low interest, which are were these, the standard investments. At the are you time. talking about like individuals were thinking this? When you say investors, do you mean yep. like an individual, like a single person? It's, it's actually like it's actually all of the above. So it's like me and you, but it's also like big, big hedge funds, okay. big firms, and same thing. I'll dive a little bit into okay. it afterwards. So as like well. their idea of an investment was owning it's, the mortgage. On someone else's and just collecting their interest. Exactly. That was the investment. Yes. But it was never like that easy. That's why I'm saying like right. to look at it through an analytical financial lens is just way too difficult to get into the ins and outs. Right. I'm really trying to dumb it down. Okay. Um, I think that's appropriate. Exactly. Um, so big time investors uh, didn't want to just simply buy one or two mortgages from right. the bank. They Because then they would have to directly deal with, excuse me, the clients directly. Right. Like they'd have to deal with you. Why aren't you paying your mortgage? I want my money. And right. we all know people suck. Right. Basically, they're a landlord for exactly. mortgages. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so instead, they bought investments called mortgage-backed securities. Okay. Okay. Um, these are created when large financial institutions, uh, they would buy thousands and thousands of individual mortgages, mm -hmm. and they would pool them all together, and then they would chop them up. And sell shares of the total pool to different individual investors. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you mortgage a house for $100,000. Yeah. Then we get 10 people who mortgage a house for $100,000. We have a million dollars in a pot. Right. And then we sell off this million dollars plus the average amount of interest right. to different investors. Right. So like instead of me handing out the million dollars to the 10 people, I would get people around the world to give me the money mm -hmm. to give it to them. Right. And then the interest that I would make off of that, I'd give a portion of it to them. Make sense? Yeah. Kind of see how that kind of yeah. travels a little bit back and forth. Um, investors gobbled up these these backed securities because they looked really safe. They looked yeah. like safe bets. Uh, for one, house prices were going up and up 
exponentially. Right. So most lenders thought, you know, worst case scenario, the borrower defaults, we take possession of the house, we sell it, and we make a profit on top of that. Right. Right? So like, we can lose. Yeah. Uh, so these investment opportunities increased. Okay. And investors were desperate to buy more and more and more of these securities because right. they're just making stupid amounts of money. Yeah. So lenders did their best to help create more and more and more of them. But to create more of them, you need more mortgages. Okay. And to have more mortgages, you have to have more people willing to buy a house. Right. Make sense? Yeah. So lenders loosened their standards and made loans to people with low income and really poor credit. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear these called subprime mortgages. Right. Right? So in a normal day when these people wouldn't actually be approved for a mortgage or they had no business buying a home for $500,000, yeah. the banks went, YOLO, Sure. took their $500,000 and moved on. Or right. sorry, gave them $500,000 and moved right. on. So that's just kind of that backbone there. Right. So now we start getting to some hanky-panky. Well, because we know those people can't afford their monthly payment on a $500,000 mortgage. Yeah. But the bank was like, we'll give it to you anyway. Yeah, pretty much. And then when it defaults, we'll just take it back. So not only is that happening, institutions started using what are now called predatory lending practices to generate more and more mortgages. So they made loans without verifying income, without verifying stable jobs. They offered absurd amounts of uh, like amounts of premium. Right. This sorry. wasn't a single bank. This is like everybody was doing. It was the industry standard. That's insane. Uh, they would they would offer adjustable rated mortgages with payments that could at first, when you first look at them for the first year, seem very reasonable and able yeah. to pay off, but then would quickly balloon beyond the person's needs. Because when you get a flexed mortgage as opposed to a fixed rate, mm -hmm. it goes up and down based on prime and based yeah. on the market. Um, so like, yeah, it's really low. The market's great. This is great. It's like, you know, 1% say. Yeah. But then like three years later or whatever, it could just yeah. blow up on people. So due to the historic nature of property investments and yeah. all of their successes, credit rating agencies were telling investors that these mortgage-backed securities were safe investments. Okay. So they gave these mortgage-backed securities a triple A rating, which is the highest rating. Okay. So do you know what do you want to mean by that? So like if you were to go into a magazine and be like, what's the safest thing to invest in? Right. That has a triple A rating. Right. And it has a high uh, return of interest. Right. So you're like, why wouldn't I do this? You're yeah. a dumbass you know, yeah. otherwise, right? So they kept implying that these investments were safe, but they weren't. Right. These investments were becoming less and less safe as time went on. But investors trusted the ratings and kept pouring in their money. Okay. So now we have a couple of parties at play who systemically are playing a really shitty game, but are just doing hanky-panky stuff. So these, these anal analysts and credit bureaus are looking at this and going, this is safe, it's always been safe, but not digging deep enough to really understand what is going on in the market. And why isn't it safe? Are you about to tell me why? Like well, why is it getting less and less safe? Oh, yeah. I guess we'll go into that a little okay. bit further. Uh, and then you have the the real estate loaners and the mortgage loaners and brokers yeah. doing doing those shady shit to get out mortgages to people who not necessarily should be having a mortgage right now in their life. And they're doing this, just to clarify, because the more mortgages that are out there, the more interest these investors can collect on, and therefore they're making more money. So I'll go on a little bit. Okay. So as mentioned before... With the increase of these investments, these high returns, uh, it drives to make money. Right. Right? So people turn to shady things to drive these subprime mortgages. Okay. Right? So if we follow the money, I sell you a mortgage, I make commission. So if the standards are less and anybody can get approved, yeah. I'm going to sell as many as I can to make commission for me. Right. Right? And then the initial mortgage brokers who take that mortgage will sell it 
to the bigger financial firms mm-hmm. because they want it really bad because it's of a, the dividends it's paying on it. Right. So they want as many as they can to build up their pot to pay it off to them. Right. And the big chains want it because all the investors around the world are itching to get a piece of that pie. So everywhere you turn, everybody's itching and itching and itching and itching financially right. to, for people to get more of these mortgages. Okay. Uh, yeah. So let me give you an example that I learned about, which – it's just dirty. And like this is to paint the picture. It's one thing to okay. be like, I'm selling you a shady mortgage. They did really shady things. Right. So there was a national bank in Maryland. Yeah. They were intentionally targeting elderly black people to sell them subprime mortgages. They called them mud people. There were email surfaces and found of toxic conversations of things being said about how stupid the people were and how they'll buy just about anything. They would go through the neighborhood and knock on people's door and convince them to refinance their house. Wow. Or, are you renting? You should buy this, and this right. is why. Right. Knocking on people's doors. Right. So that this People partic- who don't understand exactly. the, the market, yeah. it's like, well, this person who's clearly more informed than I am yeah. is telling me. Yeah. So they ended up having to pay a settlement to the government when everybody found out what the hell they right. were doing. But that just didn't happen in Maryland. That happened everywhere. Right. Um, in other instances... These lenders would target lower to middle class black neighborhoods and knock on their doors and try to target elderly people uh, and say, you should refinance your mortgage. You'll have a little extra spending money. Then you can leverage things. They They would leverage things, sorry, like grandchildren. Right. Like, oh, your grandchildren, you know, they're almost out of high school. Like, how are you going to pay for college? You got to get them off the streets. Right. And these elderly people wouldn't know anything about the finance, like you just said. And they'd sign these refinance deals. Yeah. So it would save them money a bit today right. because the interest level is so low. Yeah. They would walk out with some crazy amount of liquidity, like money, because they would yes. refinance it. So yeah. they get this big and sum of money. they were living in their house for like 30 years. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And even if it was like five years, they'd still probably make anywhere from five to 20 grand. Yeah. Um, and then they would be laughing. So it just seemed silly. So they'd sign it. Yeah. And what they'd see is they would have a rent payment of $900. And then after a few months or a few years, whatever it looked like, some in some instances, it jumped upwards of $7,000. A month. A month. A month. A month. So imagine some guy knocks on your door, convinces you to do that, and that's what happens. Wow. So meanwhile, so they well, obviously they would default on their payments and they'd yeah. be living on the streets. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, the company who originally sold them the mortgage, yeah. the minute they signed the paper, they sold that mortgage then to a massive bank in New York. Right. Who then again chopped it up into little pieces and sold it to investors throughout the mortgage-backed securities. Okay. Right. So these practices increased and increased. Lenders were targeting these low-income people and, and abused the market, yeah. uh, making people believe it was smart to leverage their homes to draw the equity out of them to create a big cash flow to then reinvest in the market. But little did people know these chopped-up hamburger meat mortgage-backed securities were not just bought by people who had lots of money to invest in. These security funds, which received the AAA credit ratings, were used in a lot of pension funds, retirement funds, long-term business retirement funds, and also reinvested by the people who drew the equity out of their home. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this $100,000? Well, you should invest it back into the mortgage funds. So then they take the money and then try to invest it to try to make more. Like, that's how these things are oh going. So it's just God, it's like a crazy cyclical, yeah. right? Um, so... Now we understand that a little infrastructure. So how yeah. did it all come tumbling down? Right. The housing bubble. Yep. Yeah. And the walls. 
Name Tumbleweed, Tumbleweed. I don't know who that's by, but it's something like that. I don't know either. So investors, bankers, and traders were throwing money in the housing market. We know this. Yeah. The price of houses uh, was obviously increasing, going up and up because of the demand. Right. right? The new lax lending practices, the aggressive lending styles, and low initial interest rates drove uh, housing prices higher and higher, which only made the mortgage-backed securities seem like even a better investment as time went on. So it's just this cycle of of movement. Right. So if the borrowers defaulted, the bank would still have their super valuable home. So that was the staple. Okay. Right. Yeah, the bank couldn't lose. Yeah. Yeah. So this created a massive housing bubble. Rapid increases driven by irrational decisions. Mm-hmm. Bubbles have a tendency to pop. Oh, I like that. And it did. People just couldn't pay for their incredibly expensive houses. Right. Or keep up with their ballooning mortgage payments. Right. It was one or the other. It wasn't like a scattered person here and there. It was everyone. Everybody. So like every there was a lot of people who signed the dotted line and then six months or a year later, the mortgage went up. Or some people were like, I want to buy a home. Well, here, Mr. Sims, have a $700,000 home, which should have been, yeah. been $100,000, yeah. but it just ballooned. And yeah. But that was the market at the time, yeah. so everyone just did it. Yeah. You know, um, So supply was up, demand was down, and home prices started to collapse. Yeah. As prices fell, some borrowers had a mortgage that was way more than what their houses were actually worth. Right. So they would sign the mortgage at 500. It's now at 400 or 300, right? Some uh, stopped paying. That led to more and more defaults, pushing prices down even further and further because the houses oh, would then wow. be foreclosed and come back up right. on the market. Like, I'm not paying $2,500 a month when my house is only worth half of what I paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. So then they default payments because they can't keep up with it. They yeah. claim bankruptcy, whatever that looks yeah. like for that individual. Yeah. But that house goes back on the market, yeah. which then oversaturates the market again and drives prices for other houses even lower and then continues that cyclically as Not well. Not to mention, all of these people who have no money can't invest money in the economy because they have no money. Exactly. So as this was happening, the big financial institutions stopped buying subprime mortgages. Mm. And subprime lenders were getting stuck with the bad loans now. Right. They're Like those big banks in New York were trying... You, you understand that, right? Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, so then by 2007... Some really big lenders in that game all had declared bankruptcy. They just like one day were like, no one wants to buy the big pie that right. we just literally were knocked on doors to make. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, we don't want to touch that. That's bad juju. Yeah. And they're like, all right. And then they're stuck with it. And now they're stuck with these loans that no one's paying. So now they go bankruptcy. Like they're just sitting on merch t-shirts. Sitting on. Yeah. There's, they, yeah. <laughs> just hanging out in their crawl space. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going to declare bankruptcy soon. So this problem spread to the big... I just said that. Um, Yeah, so they started losing money, obviously. Right. But wait, there's more. Mm. There was another problem. Okay. Uh, Remember how I said the strive for money and stuff? People were always just trying to make money off of little things. So there were also unregulated, over-the-counter derivatives, including something called credit default swaps. Okay. They were basically sold as insurance policies against the mortgage-backed securities. Meaning if you defaulted on your thing, you had insurance that would cover the costs? Sort of kind of, okay. yeah. Um, so it's interesting kind of how it's explained, and this one's really difficult. Um, they were people betting on whether or not the mortgage-backed securities would go up or go down. So pretty well, it's people bidding on whether or not you would default on your mortgage. <laughs> but they called it a secure an insurance security in case you did default on it. 
it's it it's really messy, and I wish I could ex- explain it I better. I feel like you're saying it well. I'm just like this. This seems it's wild. insane. It's wild. So, <laughs> like it's it's wild that I always bit my tongue. It's wild that no, 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 no. It's wild that some like a large amount of people weren't like, hang on, guys. Yeah. This is not going to work. Yeah. If we just look a little bit into the future. Yeah. We see how this is going. There's to just not like work. a not a lot of negligence. Like, yeah, not my problem. I'm making yeah. lots of money, and, it, and it's like I can buy that nice Mercedes. That I, you know what I mean? Yeah, like and it's, it's it's thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about next week or next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so AIG, which was one of the companies, sold tens of millions of dollars of these insurance policies yeah. without actual money to back them up when things went wrong. Right, and as we mentioned, things went terribly. The company, like as an insurance thing, they should have. They needed to have the capital to when things went wrong, they pay out. Yep. They didn't have that money. No. So these credit default swaps were also turned into other securities. Okay. That essentially allowed traders to bet amounts of money on whether the value would go up or down. Like I mentioned, all of these bets, all of these financial instruments and tools, resulted in an incredibly complicated web of assets, liabilities, and risks. Yeah. So when things went bad, they went bad for the entire financial system. Right. So most financial players declared bankruptcy, like yeah. the Lehman Brothers. Others were forced into mergers or needed to be bailed out by the government. Right. The issue was that no one really knew how bad some of these companies' balance sheets were. Right. Because with all of them being unregulated and the assets, they were all there, everything was chopped up and spread across the board. Like butter spread over right. too much bread. Good analogy. Thank you. Um, it made it truly difficult to get the real picture of how right. bad re- things really were. Right. So picture this. Okay. You have a house, a 401k, which is an RRSP in Canada, like a retirement fund. Oh, okay. Uh, a nice pension with your job that you've been working at for 28 years. I wish. You're looking to retire within two to five years. Mm. You're dreaming of your vacation home in Florida. You're celebrating the birth of your grandkid. You've poked away a little bit of money for their education fund. Your mortgage renewal date comes up, or someone knocks on your door, and you're t- talked into refinancing your mortgage yeah at a glance it's exciting you can you know walk away with 50 to two hundred thousand dollars cash depending on the equity the payments seem incredibly low because of the flexed interest rate starting off right you can use the money from the equity to start the education fund to top up your 401k and or to start investing into that dream retirement home right fast forward one to three years your payments have tripled because of the flex interest rates you slowly can't make payments anymore you decide you're going to have to to move your plans ahead a little bit. Right. And sell your house today to offload that big issue. The housing bubble crashed. And your house is now worth a third of what it was when you refinanced it. Oh God. So now you even if you were if your house is three hundred thousand, you get a hundred thousand, you still owe the bank two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. You panic. You're distressed. You have nowhere to turn. So you have no other option but to dip into your savings in 401k to try to get you through. Oh, no. You pull up your accounts, and you realize that they have been drained as well. Your pension plan from your company, your 401k that you have been investing in yourself, and all of the investments were allocated heavily into the mortgage-backed security sector. You lost 40 40 to 60% of your total investment portfolio to retire on. Let alone buy the house. And the fact that you were just about to, you'd be like, oh, I'll just dip into it a little bit just to pay yeah. off this. It's like, no, it's already half gone. gone. 40 to 60% was the average. Wow. 
Panic set in. Trading and market, uh, trading and credit markets froze. The stock market crashed. The U.S. market found itself in a terrible, terrible recession. Yeah. Um, so what did the government do? The Federal Reserve jumped in and saved the day and offered to make emergency loans to banks. The idea was to prevent fundamentally sound banks from collapsing just right. because their lenders were panicking. Right. Right? So, like, ones who weren't necessarily participating and who were sound and, and stable, yeah. because of everybody else freaking out and losing their marbles, they were drawing their money out, and they would collapse if people panicked. Right. Right? Um, so, they wanted to bail them out. The government enacted a program called TARP, which is Troubled Asset Relief Program, which the rest of us call the bank bailout. Okay. It initially gave out $700 billion to the bank. It actually ended up spending $250 billion first bailing out the banks and was later expanded to help automakers, AIG, and individual homeowners, which wow. I'd love to see how many of that actually went to homeowners. Yeah. Uh, so coupled with lending from the feds, this helped stop the cascade of panic in the financial system. Okay. The Treasury also conducted stress tests on the largest Wall Street banks. So they were like, this happens, what happens? You know right, what I mean? Right. Uh, government went over banks' balance sheets and publicly announced which ones were sound and which ones needed to raise more money. Mm -hmm. Congress also passed a huge stimulus package in January 2009. This pumped over $800 billion into the economy through new spending and tax cuts. This helped slow the free fall of, obviously, the spending output and the right. unemployment. Uh, in 2010... Congress passed a financial reform called the Dodd-Frank Law. Okay. It took steps to increase transparency and prevent banks from taking on too much risk. Right. Uh, it set up a Consumer Protection Bureau to reduce predatory lending. It required financial derivatives be traded in exchanges that all market participants can observe. So you can see where the money comes from. You can follow it and track it. Right. It put mechanisms in place for large banks to fail in a controlled, predictable manner fail yeah right so they can see what's going to happen before it happens and, and right. go from there right um so to kind of like slowly wrap things up a little bit we see kind of how a culture centered on consumerism and capitalism can see fit to abuse a weak financial system to strive for profits yeah each step of the way people knew the risks they were taking and instead of holding responsibility they diluted the pot and sold the risk around to everybody else. Well, yeah, the only people who didn't know the risks were the the lowest level, like the the mortgage. No, owners. the mortgage brokers knew all the risks. The mortgage the, owners. Oh, the homeowners. Yeah, homeowners. Yeah, they didn't know the risks. No, so things like perverse incentives, like bonus structures for the mortgage lenders, right. incentivize them to pump out shady subprime loans. Yeah, the moral hazard, where one person takes on more risk because someone else bears the burden of the risk. Right. Right. Um, banks and lenders were willing to lend to subprime borrowers because they planned on selling the mortgages to someone else anyway. Wasn't their problem. Wasn't their problem. Everyone thought they could pass the risk up the line. Yeah. The phrase, too big to fail, is a perfect example of moral hazard as well. Right. If banks know that they're going to be bailed out by the government, they have an incentive to make risky or perhaps unwise bets. Oh. Former federal chairman Alan Greenspan summed it up by saying, if you're too big to fail, they're too big. Ah, well then, Alan. In total, we see the crisis was the worst U.S. economic disaster since the Great Depression. Yeah. In the United States, the stock market plummeted, wiping out nearly $8 trillion in value between the late 2007 and 2009. Wow. Unemployment climbed, peaking at 10%. 
Uh, Americans lost $9.8 trillion in wealth as their home values plummeted and their retirement accounts vaporized. The Great Recession is tied to more than 10,000 suicides in the U.S. Wow. Yep. Yep. So who is to blame? Crash course economics. Like, is he asking me? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you going to blame, Evan? Who are you going to blame, bud? Uh, so crash course economics, which were a huge resource for me in doing this. I love the crash course stuff. Crash course um, philosophy was our jam, too. So good. Yeah. And they summarize the uh, ending quite well. And I quote, The blame and the pain was spread out throughout the entire U.S. economy. First, the government failed to regulate uh, and supervise the financial system. Right. The Financial Crisis Inquiry, Inquiry Commission report stated, the centuries were not at their posts, in no small part due to the wildly accepted faith in the self-correcting nature of the markets and the ability of financial institutions to effectively police themselves. The report places some of the blame on the years of deregulation in the financial industry and blamed regulators for not doing more. Mm. The financial industry itself failed. People were borrowing too much money and taking on too much risk. The big financial institutions were taking on huge debt loans to invest in risky assets, and huge number of homeowners were taking on mortgages they couldn't afford. Yeah. But the thing to remember about this massive systemic failure is that it happened in a system made up of humans, mm. with human feelings. Some didn't understand what was happening, some willingly ignored the problems, and some were simply unethical, motivated by the massive money involved. Gross. I think we should give the last word today to the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission Report. Okay. To paraphrase Shakespeare, they wrote, The fault lies not in the stars, but in us. Ah, oh, well done. Thank you. Shakespeare. Now, my friends, enjoy your break. Jennifer Benson Music Studio in Westbrook Landing, Mount Pearl, is now accepting students on weeknights and weekends for piano, voice, and guitar with extra performance opportunities, fun collaborative experiences, and expert and encouraging staff for all ages and musical goals. Find out more now at www.jenniferbensonpiano.com. Welcome back, folks. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how much did you hate that? I don't know. I think probably five. Yeah. Because I don't know if I, five is fair. Because I loved it as much as I hated it. <laughs> no, so five is perfect. Because like you had done that sort of like fifties salesman a couple yeah. times in your topic, so it's uh -huh. like it was just inherently part of you tonight. It happened. It was so the you... corny Collins coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we hope you enjoyed your break. We obviously did. We had some Always. chicken fingers and some, nope, some uh, garlic fingers and pizza. They were good. I'm not going to lie. Donair sauce would have put them over the top. Absolutely. But they were yeah. cold, so like, you, you, you get what you pay for. No, I heated them up. Did you not see me in the, with the microwave? Can't remember. Oh, yeah. No, I, I heated them up. I don't, I don't eat cold things. You don't often. eat cold old things. Like, actually. certainly I don't eat cold pizza. Like Things that aren't exclusively cold. I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> but Tiffany will, like, live for pizza out of the fridge like leftover oh, pizza yeah. it's cold it's so good no i have to eat it up. and i love i love leftover pizza yeah when it's warm like when it's like oh, mm. no, like, oh like, you mean like an hour after you had ordered it like no that kind when of i warm? put it in the microwave for 30 seconds oh that's weird it's the bread gets soggy do you know what you have to do you have to put a small like half glass of water it wasn't soggy but if you put a half a glass of water in the microwave with the bread um or I'm, pizza or whatever you're putting in it um 
It doesn't get as soggy. Sure. But also, I like it when it's little. Like, that's part of the charm of a leftover pizza it's to like me. It's chewy. Yeah, that's part of the charm. It's like, it's a, it's a different thing. It's not it's not like there's pizza and there's leftover pizza, which is the same. It's like, no, leftover pizza is its own. Well, that can also be said to, like, cold, hard pizza. It's yeah. been a hard, cold <coughs> night. It's like the equivalent of, like, not really, but kind of. You know, you wouldn't be like, mashed potatoes are the same thing as having roast potatoes. They're two separate sides. Yes, it's the same vegetable. Yeah. But, like, they change the meal drastically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? like a twice baked potato. Yeah. Yeah. So like, oh, what uh, I buddy. Now. Oh, buddy. Well, I went to the Rock Steakhouse. <laughs> oh, yes. For yes, my yes, anniversary. For anniversary. And Tiffany wasn't feeling well, so we ended up leaving. But I had a lovely steak. And for the side, I was, they had twice back as an option. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to do that. And guess what I got instead? Rice. Whole no, grain no. rice. No, no. Go further. Left. A single baked potato. Brussels sprouts. Now, you got literal fart bombs. Now, hear me out. The last restaurant we had been to, and I can't remember what it was, I had some meal. It might have been Evo. I had some meal that had Brussels sprouts on it. And they were, like, in whatever this, like, mm. sauce was. It mm. was, like, and they also, like, the thing with Brussels sprouts is if they're too hard, yep. they're the shits. Yeah. If they're too soft, they're the shits. They're like cabbage. Yeah. It has to be the perfect consistency. The perfect consistency. And, I like, it's really weird. Food that, like, you think has no business being on your plate. Yeah. When restaurants, like, fancy restaurants get a hold of them. Yep. It's like, you've done something great. You understand why the food is a popular item. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, whatever it was that I had this Brussels sprouts with, I was like, oh, what if they're like that, though? And, like, they were in, they had candied bacon and oh, parmesan, yeah, and they were, like, caramelized delicious. in garlic or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of sold on that. Like, I know what a twice picked, I, I know it's going to be a good twice picked potato. It probably yep. won't be as good as the keg, but it'll be good. Mm-hmm. It could have been better. Anyway, it turns out the Brussels sprouts I got, they weren't great. Oh, they were buddy. too hard. Flavor was good. They were too hard. I'm sorry for your loss. You just suck on them like a hard candy? <laughs> yeah. Spit them back I still out. got a few out of Ziploc bag. <laughs> I didn't like any of that. Just down by the chair that I watch TV. when the gra- old and salty. When the grandkids come over, I'm like, do you want a hard candy? Yeah. It's just a Brussels sprout in candied bacon. There's <laughs> <laughs> an old, salty, very wealthy man. Yeah. <laughs> where there is turned into salted Some br- halved Brussels sprouts. <laughs> sort of that like semi-circle shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you keep sucking the way that they get smaller is like the layer. The layer comes like off. peels off like an onion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't like any of that. And you spit out the little flakes of leaf. Yeah. Like peel off like 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 a seed, a sunflower seed. Yeah. You see baseball players doing that? You on the chew? I'm on the Brussels sprout. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what you mean by chew. Depends on what you mean, sir. Anyways, um, would Sh- you like to talk? I would like to talk, Jeff. You know this. Come on, buddy. So I'm going to describe to you. Describe? <laughs> the way <laughs> that I'm sitting right now <laughs> on the couch. For those not viewing. Yes. I'll For those you, not taking aim. Jeff has message. his left foot under his right thigh. Mm. Making a triangular shape between his left knee and pelvis. It's acute. <laughs> it's not. It's obtuse. Um, so, I'm going to explain to you. Explain to you. I'm rusty. Yeah. Explain. Yeah. Explain. Explain. Explain's our verb. Just go with it, Evan. Stop it's fighting it. Stop fighting it. I'm going to explain to you the trial of O.J. Simpson. Or should I say, the trial of the century. Yeah, honestly. As it is called, omblessly. This is a rough go, buds. You don't have to do much talking. It's, it's fine. Talking so to sleep? 
No, no, no. You have to be alert. Oh. But you're... Can I get like a cutout of me? A what? A cutout. And just like place myself on the couch? And that like would be the same, look, maybe? Pasty <laughs> cardboard <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Orenthal Orenthal. I don't know that name. That's his name though. Orenthal James Simpson was born and raised in San Francisco, California. His aunt gave him the name Orenthal. I'll just say it different every time. Which she said was the name of a French actress she liked. <laughs> was the name of the cold medication she was currently picking up from stoppers. Uh, he was always called OJ though. Orenthal James. And he wasn't even aware his name was Orenthal until third grade when his teacher called it out. They were like, Orenthal um, Simpson? And he didn't answer. And she's like, uh, it's you. And he's like, no, nah, my name's not No, my, my name's Didn't know. My name's Orange juice My friend Ryan Acoin, <laughs> when we were like, I guess I was like 10 and he was 8, we went on this family vacation. And he, his mom and her sisters and his grandmother all have their names like on their like just above the handle of their door like their names are on them i've never seen it in like any on other... a car or like on the car so like ryan's mom's name is ann it just says ann on the passenger door or the driver's on the driver door? door just above the handle in okay. like a little like cursive writing sure 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 uh, with paint okay all, all the sisters and the grandmother have the same thing so anyway his grandmother's truck was there and i was like is your grandmother's name blanche i was like it's like it says on the Thing, yeah. Blanche, and he's like, no, 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 her name is Graham. And I was like, no, 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 wait, what do you mean? And she's like, no, her name is Graham, like the name Graham. I was like, well, that's a man's name, and also, I think you just call her Graham because she's your grandma. He's like, no, no, but also her name is Graham, though. And I was like, uh, I don't think it is, man. So I went inside. Her last name's O'Connor. This is just me on on vacation with Ryan's whole family. Yeah. So I went in, and I was like, and was Ryan's mom. I was like. Is your mom's name Blanche? She's like, yeah, it's on the door of the car. It's <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I thought. Hey, Ryan, it's not Graham. <laughs> that's one of those innocent kid things, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a classic Articuno situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Articuno. Articuno. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that was the thing. So, crazy interesting fact, unrelated, semi-related, actually. Okay. His father was a chef and bank custodian. Not involved in the crisis, I don't believe. No. Also, he was a custodian, so... He wouldn't have been involved, I guess. <laughs> it's like <laughs> cleaning this shit off the toilet. <laughs> um, I'm availing of these high-interest <laughs> mortgage-backed securities. Uh, but by night, his father was actually a well-known drag queen in the San Francisco area. Go on. His father did not announce he was gay until later in life and died during the height of the AIDS pandemic in 86. Ooh. But the whole time he grew up, he just like, dad works nights. Turns out he was a drag queen, like, working it. Like, doing well for himself. Yeah, it's a hard day's night. Yep. OJ grew up in the projects of Potrero Hill. In his teenage years, rejoined... Uh, I don't think it's rejoined. I think he joined for the first time. A street gang called the Persian Warriors. Wow. And through his involvement with the gang, ended up serving a little time at the San Francisco Youth Guidance Center. Mm. Which is a really nice name for Juvie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his life turned around after he met Willie Mays, Willie Mays. the, the favorite, uh, famous African-American baseball center fielder. Mays convinced OJ to turn that life around. <laughs> and I, I don't think he literally said those words. I think he did. Actually I did put exactly in quotation like marks in my document, but I think it's just like, because Get your it, shit together. In me it was an expression, so I had to like quotationize it. I'm not sure. Uh, so, 
OJ got into sports after this and played for his high school football team mm-hmm. and was real good. But due to being shit at school, he didn't attract the interest of any colleges. <laughs> due to being a shit person. Yeah, didn't... also that. But he just wasn't like good enough academically to any colleges to be like, yeah, we'll take you. Yeah. Um, he enrolled at City College and was named to the Junior College All-American team. And when they won the Prune Bowl. Stop. <laughs> Seriously. Stop the lightly salted fart bombs. It's like... They want you to know you're not in the NFL. So yeah. like, oh no, it's not the Super Bowl. No, you got it's the, the Prune Bowl, you <laughs> shit. You're horrible. Give up. But actually, they're like the best of amateurs. So I don't know why they call it the Prune Bowl. Anyway, many colleges <laughs> then wanted OJ because he got, um, he was the MVP or something, whatever, at the Prune Bowl. Uh, he chose to attend <laughs> the University of Southern California or USC. Blah, 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 blah. More sports, more football. Evan doesn't care about any of this. He's like, where's the murder? Where's the murder? So 1969, he gets drafted to the NFL. He demands the largest contract in professional sports history up to that point. Go on. Of anyone in any sport. Guess what, it, what he demanded? Two million. This is 1980-something. Oh. 300,000? 500,000? 650,000 over five years. Oh my God. So, like, still, like, you're making 120 a year. Yeah. Which is a lot of money, but, yeah. like, like, it's not insane. No, not it, to play professional football. It was the most anyone would have been paid by that point. The owner of the Buffalo Bills is not pleased by this. So, OJ is like, fine, I'll become an actor and not play football anymore. And although it was not a bluff, because he was going to do it and later did become an actor, it worked. And the, the manager was like, okay, well, we'll give it to you. We just don't want you to act. Come on, Brad Pitt. Come play football. <laughs> uh, OJ starts off rough with the NFL, but by 1973, wins the NFL MVP award. Mm. He broke the record for a single season rushing over 2,000 yards. I don't know what any of these facts mean, but presumably it's very good. Sure. Um, oh, well, their rushing is like they got to move the ball up a don't, little bit, right? They, listen. Is that what it is? I don't know. Okay, I, anyway, I don't football. It, the thing you need to do is rush the ball. He got. He did it. The best. He, he did lots of rushing. He did the best. He was the Mount Rushmore of rushing the football. He was. And while other people have since broke the record, there are now two extra games in a football season. There used to be fourteen. Now there's sixteen, and no one's done it in fourteen games other than OJ. Oh, so people have broke the record in sixteen games, but, but never in fourteen. Never in fourteen. My God. 1985, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame the first year that he was eligible. Throughout his career, he acquired the nickname Juice OJ. Orange juice. I see where people got there. It also doubled, excuse me, as a metaphor for electricity. The offensive line of the Buffalo Bills during OJ's peak was nicknamed the Electric Company. <laughs> like that's an Electric Company vibe. OJ um, juice. Dun. Da 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 da. Cha-cha-cha. Cha-cha-cha, thanks. Uh, OJ did end up having a bit of an acting career. Nothing really of note, but there are a fair few credits we've never heard of. Oh. So. Do you have them? No, we've never heard of them. I, I appreciate oh, them. Oh, yeah. I thought you were like, we haven't heard of them, so you're going to disclose them no. to me now. Uh, he was up for the role, apparently, of the Terminator, but Schwarzenegger won out. Absolutely. Yep. Rightfully uh, so. Most... That guy's a genius. <laughs> Is he? I'm not joking. <laughs> I think... And I will fight you for it. <laughs> yeah, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a national treasure. Um, to what country, I'm unsure. But he is a national treasure to someone. Uh, most notably, he OJ was a sports commentator when he retired. Mm-hmm. So quick background of family life. At 19, he married Marguerite L. Whitley. They had three children. Aaron, the youngest, tragically drowned at the age of two in the family's swimming pool. So that'll take you out. In 1977, while still married to his first wife, O.J. meets Nicole Brown, who was working as a waitress in a nightclub. 
always the good ones. Mm. He dated her for almost two years before finally divorcing his wife. And Nicole, it's a long time. Right? But it's also like, you got to test the waters, man. You're going to throw away your your marriage for just like, you know, you got you to gotta see if this is lasting the the honeymoon phase. The Are we going to move in together? All of our female audience is very much into what you just said, I think. They are like, I respect Jeff as a man now. I think so. Yeah. Nicole and OJ are married in 1985 and have two children together. By this point, OJ is retired from football. In 1989, four years into the marriage, Nicole takes OJ to court over spousal abuse. Hmm. OJ pleads... No contest. See, that's what they should have figured out in those first two years. Yeah. Does he beat me? Right. That's not a funny joke. <laughs> I mean, not really. No. no. Uh, <laughs> Domestic somehow, violence, not that we're funny. still laughing, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just when you swing and miss, it's funny watching you spin around. You know? True. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he pleads no contest, which is what you do if you're guilty but don't want to say not guilty because that's a lie and don't want to say guilty because then you're like a sack of shit. So you just plead no contest, and you get offered a better plea deal. Oh. So arguably making you a worse person for neither standing up for yourself or fessing up to your actions. <laughs> You're just garbage. It's just seeming trash. They finally divorce in 1992, year we were born. Great year for, yeah. for humankind. Yeah. Um, citing irrens- ir- nope, irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable <laughs> differences. <laughs> I was going syllabically there, and I was like, wait, no. Irreconcilable differences. Uh, so they go their separate ways. Yes, Nicole yeah. becomes friends with Ron Goldman, a waiter who works at Mezzaluna, a restaurant in Brentwood. On Ju- I know. I thought <laughs> I was going to say another yeah. Yeah. Uh, On June 12th, 1992, Nicole goes out for dinner with friends and family at the same restaurant. Ron is working that night. Nicole's mom accidentally leaves her glasses behind. So it's just such a, like, a little generic, weird yep. story. So Ron calls and says he's going out with some friends that evening. He'd be happy to pop them by Nicole's place on his way home. But Ron Goldman never shows up to meet his friends later. At 10.45 p.m., a neighbor spots Nicole's white dog by itself outside, barking, with what appears to be red paws. So that's weird, because it's a white dog. At the same time, a limo pulls up in front of O.J. Simpson's house to take him to the airport. 11.45 p.m., O.J. takes off on a flight for Chicago. 12.10 a.m., the dog leads neighbors to the dead bodies of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown. Woof. I know. It took a real turn. 4.15, OJ checks into a hotel in Chicago. 4.30, police arrive at OJ's place to inform him that his ex-wife, Nicole, was murdered, and he's not there. But they do find his blood-stained Bronco and a bloody glove that matches a glove found at the crime scene. What's a Bronco? It's like a truck SUV thing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah okay. It's like super boxy looking yeah. from like the 80s. Yeah, I didn't know you meant car. Sorry, yeah. yeah. His horse. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a bloody glove that matches a glove found at the crime scene next to Ron Goldman's body. Just the opposite glove. Like, it's the left versus the right. Thanks. So the police get a warrant, search the house and the car, and find more traces of blood. At 12 p.m., OJ arrives back in L.A. and is informed of Nicole's death. So he was gone for, like, eight hours, yeah. basically. Great. Uh, he's handcuffed and is then taken to the police station for questioning. He's released, but asked to stay in town. They're basically like, you're a suspect, bud. Obvs. Yep. Two days later, OJ and his children attend Nicole's funeral. The next day, on June 17th, the police now feel they have enough evidence, and OJ Simpson gets formally charged with the murders of Brown and Goldman. He does not go to the police station, as they suggested, but his close friend and lawyer... Do you remember who it is? Um, 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 Kardashian. Ro- Robert, uh, Rob? Rob? Yep. 
Kardashian, um, <coughs> issues a written statement to the public that OJ wrote. And this is the statement mm. that OJ wrote. To whom it may concern, first, everyone understand I have nothing to do with Nicole's murder. I loved her. Always will and always have. Uh, always have and always will. Sorry, I didn't mean to misquote the murderer. Um, <laughs> if we had a problem, it's because I loved her so much. I've had a good life. I'm proud of how I lived. My mama taught me to do on to others. I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. I've always tried to be up and helpful. So why is this happening? I'm sorry for the Goldman family. I know how much it hurts. Don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life. Great. Please think of the real OJ and not this lost person. Thanks for making my life special. I hope I helped yours. That's his issue. It's a statement to the public. Was it in person or was it a letter? It was a letter that Robert Kardashian read out to the press. Why did he say, like, I was great? Great. I don't know. That's not he, something you write. I've That's had a like great a... life. Great. I wrote it twice. Now, I'm not sure if you're picking up on it, but the latter end of that letter, the yeah. latter of the letter, has some serious suicide undertones. Don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great Thanks life. Thanks for making my life special. Please think of the real OJ, not this lost soul. So many people are concerned. Next thing... OJ's Ford Bronco is spotted driving down the interstate, being driven by OJ's friend Al Collins. News crews get wind of this, and the helicopters start flying in. Okay, live TV helicopter pursuing the Bronco. Fans begin to line the streets because he's a huge star. Yeah, um, to cheer him on, like go get away from the police. <laughs> the police are in pursuit. It's a low speed chase. All parties are driving the speed limit, but Al refuses to pull over. The police managed to call the cell phone in the car. I don't know how they find out this information, but they did. There was car phones back then. Right. So they just like, O.J. Simpson's car. 800 500 Bronco. Yeah. Nailed it. Today. Um, and Al, so they get a hold of Al. Al answers. He says O.J. is in the back seat with a gun to his head. And if the police attempt to stop the car, O.J. will kill himself. Woof. Right? So they just keep driving. 95 million people are now watching on television. That and, is wild. Uh-huh. As the Bronco maintains its speed and is escorted a- across L.A. by the police. <laughs> After an hour, Al pulls into O.J.'s estate. There is another hour of negotiation, and finally O.J. emerges from the vehicle and surrenders. In the vehicle, they found a travel bag with O.J.'s passport, a disguise kit, including a fake mustache and beard, and a revolver. I thought I was going to get away with it, see? <laughs> if it wasn't for you and that damn dog. <laughs> Three days later, OJ appears before a judge and pleads not guilty. Actually, he says, absolutely 100% not guilty. It's a very Trump. It's a direct quote. The prosecution, prosecution asks for life in prison without parole. They don't go for death penalty. November 3rd, the jury is selected and made up of four males and eight females. Eight of the jurors are black, one Hispanic, one white person, and two mixed race. I tell Pause. you this because it's important. Just before going any further. Yeah. In LA, do they have the death, death death penalty? I think so because I read something about they chose not to go for it. They probably don't now. Like, yeah. They definitely don't now. Yeah, actually. I think they're way too liberal yeah. to... Um, OJ spares no expense on his legal team. Throughout the course of the trial, 10 lawyers take part. The head of the legal team was Robert Shapiro, who made a name for himself depending, defending famous people. His first famous client, Linda Lovelace, the 1970s porn star who became famous for the film Deep Throat. <laughs> so that's fun. He also defended... <laughs> 
<laughs> that was like, That's like the, the number one resume. thing of his like Wikipedia bio. Yeah, top of his top yeah. of his resume. Uh, he also defended Johnny Carson on a DUI charge and won. Johnny Carson was great. Great time. He was good. Um, but early on in the trial, members of the defense team were no longer speaking to each other. This is like news to the to the media. They are aware that like the his his team all on the side of the defense are just like bickering and like I'm not talking to him anymore. So things are getting tangly, and so Johnny Cochran takes the lead on the defense. Now, <laughs> Your Johnny, neighbor down by the southern shore. Yeah, Johnny is a piece of work. Johnny don't take no shit from nobody. <laughs> Woo! Johnny made a name for himself defending African Americans in the 70s and 80s against police brutality cases. Oh. In the 70s and 80s. Like, we're still dealing with this disgraceful shit now. Oh, wait, wait, Imagine wait. what it was like 50 years ago. Oh, wait, wait. He defended black people or he defended yes. the cops? No, 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 no. Oh, defended so he was a cops. good person. Yeah, oh, yeah. He oh, was, yeah. well, I, other things in his life, not so much. But for this aspect, like, yeah. he got... He oh, sorry. Yeah, I misunderstood the, yeah. the pyramid. Yeah. My point being, like, he was winning these cases... 50 years ago. Wow. So it's like uphill battle. So, of course, we've also got Robert Kardashian in there, good friend of OJ, as we discussed in the Kardashians episode. OJ stayed at the Kardashians' house after he was, uh, well, sorry, before he was arrested. Yeah. Um, Robert Kardashian got his license to practice law reinstated because he had let it lapse. Yeah. During this, he got it reinstated so he could join the defense team. I'm sure he was a lot of help. I haven't sure. practiced law in 10 years, but <laughs> this guy's my friend. And so. my daughter's hot. <laughs> yeah. No, at that point, they were like three. Uh, uh, so those are some key players. Now it's time for the trial. The trial. I really want like the... Dun, dun. Oh, like yeah, the, the, the law and order. Dun. Yeah. I wonder, if we could, I wonder if that's copyrighted. Copy, copywritten. Copy wrote. Got to be. Probably the same thing same. as Netflix is like... Dun. Like when you first log in? Yeah. It is a satisfying sound. Very satisfying. Um, And like when PlayStation 3 boots up, it has like a concert, um, like an orchestra. Yeah, yeah, the strings. Yeah, yeah. Everybody tuning to A. Yeah. It's nice. It's very nice. They put so much time and effort into deciding Little things. Yeah. Yeah. I like it though. As do I. Uh, January 24th, 1995. The trial begins. The opening statement from the prosecution is all about, he kills her out of jealousy. He kills her because he couldn't have her. The defense takes the stance of, this is a rush to judgment. The prosecution is trying to win at all costs. To which I thought, like, isn't that sort of their job? Isn't that kind of their job? Yeah, but, like... But their point being, like, at all costs, like, they they were doing backdoor shady shit. Exactly. Is yeah, their yeah. point. The, uh, without going into way too much detail, because this is a big tangent. Right. But there's a great um, series. I think it's on Netflix, or maybe it's Amazon. Right. It's like uh, like The Innocent Files. And they talk about, there's like two seasons. Each season has like five or six episodes. Mm. And it's, um, each one is like a person who went to jail for something they didn't do. Oh, wrongly. And then like 20 to 25 years later, they get out for evidence that was either withheld or Or the technology wasn't there. But the majority of it isn't just the technology piece. It's like obvious negligence of like, oh yeah, his fingerprints were the thing, but we don't want to test fingerprints because that's going to prove he wasn't there. Yeah. It's like, People are act like the prosecutors, the yeah. prosecutors, like they were incentivized on yeah. the same way, like we were talking about mortgages. Yeah. People are incentivized yeah. to like get the conviction, get the conviction, get someone behind bars and yeah. move to the next file. Worst case scenario, it's going to be somebody who's like a bit of a debt to society anyway. Exactly. Who cares whether they did it? Yeah, they didn't kill yeah. this person, but they bet the shit out of that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's terrible. So, January 27th, three days after the trial commences, you could not predict this next sentence if I gave you a million tries. 
O.J. Simpson's book comes out. If I had done it, I would have done it like this. Or that's the one he wrote. No, that's later. This one is called I Want to Tell You by O.J. Simpson. A response to your letters, your messages, your questions. Three days after the trial started. Mm -hmm. How long since? I mean, he must have had to written it like. Well, like, you know, the trials, like once he was, he was convicted in November. Yeah. So he like the, over the last three months, two months. Well, didn't, oh, I think I said June. Um, so it's January 25th or 27th now. Yeah. So yeah, three months. Yeah. So either then or on the flight, the eight hour flight to Chicago. On the <laughs> That's what he was doing. <laughs> uh, the whole book is just him denying everything. Here's what people had to say on the eBay reviews. I didn't like this book because one, he did it and he's lying. <laughs> Two, he shouldn't profit from the death of two people. And three, I just don't like him. Burn this book. <laughs> or better still, boo-hoo-hoo. This book is full of poo. <laughs> Nothing but self-pity and lies. OJ draws flies. <laughs> We're back to poop again. We're back to poop again. So yeah, it's gross. And it's basically just filled with a lot of letters of people in support of him. And like a couple that aren't, that he like comments on. He's like, these people are wrong because I'm innocent. Mm. So early on in the trial, the prosecution tries what they can uh, to make OJ less likable. Because this guy is super charismatic. Like, he is an yeah. icon of American football. He's a celebrity that people love. There's yeah. never been a scandal around him. Yeah. I mean, sure, he allegedly beat his wife, but, like, it was the 80s, so... It was... Mm. <laughs> like, which isn't my opinion. It's just a presumed opinion of OJ fans in the 80s. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they want to paint this nasty and violent picture of OJ. So they bring in Nicole Brown's sister-in-law, who testifies that she witnessed bruising and injuries on Nicole that Nicole said were inflicted by OJ. And then there's the physical and DNA evidence from the case. A single leather glove found outside Simpson's home matched another glove found at the crime scene. In preliminary DNA tests, blood found on the glove was shown to have come from Simpson and the two victims. So that's like enough there. After his arrest, further DNA tests would confirm this finding. Simpson had a wound on his hand, and his blood was a DNA match to drops found at the Brentwood crime scene. Nicole Brown Simpson's blood was discovered on a pair of socks found at OJ's Rockingham estate. Simpson had recently purchased a stiletto knife, the type of knife the coroner believed was used by the killer. Shoe prints in the blood at the crime scene matched Simpson's shoe size and later were shown to match a type of shoe he had owned. Neither the knife nor shoes were found by police. Oh. Which is, like, even more suspicious because it's like, well, we know it's you like had who those... killed the knife and right. who's hiding the shoes. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, Simpson had no alibi for the time frame of the murders. Some 40 minutes after the murders were committed, a limousine driver sent to take OJ to the airport saw a man in dark clothing hurrying up the drive of the Rockingham estate. A few minutes later, Simpson spoke to the driver through the gate phone and let him in. During the previous 25 minutes, the driver had repeatedly called the house and received no answer. Even though he like watched OJ run up, and then he just like called back 25 minutes later. And it was a crime of passion. Nicole was slashed with a knife, multiple stab wounds. Like, it wasn't like somebody was trying to rob them. Nothing was stolen from the house. Right? So, I mean, you look at all that and you think, lock him up. He doesn't have a leg to stand on. And you wouldn't be wrong. But that's not how courts work. No. You must prove without reasonable doubt that someone is guilty. And if you've got a good defense, if you've got Johnny Cochran and the Dream Team, well, Reasonable Doubt is their middle name. Johnny Cochran and the Three Kardashians. Johnny Reasonable Doubt Cochran. <laughs> JRDC, for short. As he takes a sip of his dad. And the Dream Team. JRDC and the DT. <laughs> <laughs> this is JRDC and the DT on 97.5. <laughs> K-Rock. 
<laughs> so they start with, whoops, got Pepsi on the couch. Yep, sir. I mean, she's litter. Yep, sir. So they start with the evidence. The defense starts with, like, let's just pick it apart. They Thank bring you. in prime crimeologist Dennis Fung, who testifies all of the wrongdoings in evidence collection and crime scene do's and don'ts. There was a bloody fingerprint at the gate at Nicole's home, which was improperly collected. This fingerprint was documented in lead investigator Mark Foreman's notes, but it did not pass through the chain of custody at the crime scene. The detective who took over Furman's shift was never made aware of the print, and it was lost or destroyed. The only reason they knew it existed because Mark had written it in his little book, and then they never found it. A similar thing happened with other pieces of evidence, giving an overall sloppy impression of the forensic collection at the crime scene. Photos were taken of critical evidence without anything in the photo to judge scale, making it difficult to link photos to an area of the crime scene. I didn't know that they had to do that. Like, to give they, scale. they put a ruler next to it, or they put, like, if it's a, I don't know, if it's a thing that's the, about the size of a shoe, they put a shoe next to it. They go, look, it's the same size as the shoe. Yeah. I don't know. But they need scale, apparently. Uh, separate pieces of evidence were bagged together, causing cross-contamination. Uh, wet items were also bagged before allowing them to dry. So presumably they just deteriorated from that moment. It's just like moldy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. sir, we found a napkin that said, I did it. Sincerely, OJ. It's like, uh, but it was in a puddle and now it's not. <laughs> now it's just like a green sack of filth. Um, police even used a blanket from inside the house to cover Nicole's body. Like, not one from an ambulance. They just went into the house and got a blanket. So, like, now she's contaminated with whatever is on, on the blanket. Yeah. Now Benny could have done it. Yeah, exactly. Also, the police weren't watching where they walked and left bloody shoe prints behind. Like, so it wasn't like, well, all of the bloody shoe prints are obviously the person who killed them. No, no, no. It's also Detective O'Flanagan, who just wasn't watching where he was going. <laughs> Cripes, I got blood on me shoes again, Mary. <laughs> Break out the bleach. Well done. Um, thanks. Uh, there was also issues with how the evidence was secured. Mm. There was a 1.5 milliliter of OJ blood missing. OJ blood. OJ's blood. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like any of that. Um, also, 1.5 oh, milliliters. milliliters of blood missing from a vial of evidence. But actually, they weren't sure if it was missing because no one logged how much blood was supposed to be in it. So the person who took it was like... I probably took eight millimeters. That's usually what I take. But he didn't write down that he took eight millimeters, milliliters. So they didn't, they were like, if he did, if there's only 6.5 now, or maybe he actually only collected 6.5. We don't know. Like, also. Inadequacies. Yeah. Also, are they the same police that were at Jean Benet Ramsey's house the no, morning of the murder? Because, the like, they both seem inadequate. Yep. Also, that vial was not immediately turned over as evidence, but was carried around for several hours before it was entered into the chain of custody. So it opens up the door for blood possibly being planted at the crime scene, which Mm -hmm. is the stance that the defense took. In fact, the defense argued that EDTA was found in the blood collected at the crime scene. EDTA is an anticoagulant used in labs and mixed with blood to presumably keep it from coagulating is that what coagulating is yep so when like you know how like your blood thickens and scabs it's like like liquid at first but then it becomes hard right yeah um it's like if you like have paint open and you leave it open for a while you coagulate you gotta squat you gotta squeeze off the top uh but edta is also found in naturally occurring blood and chemicals such as paint in 1994 i didn't even realize that when i said that 1994 tests were not advanced enough to determine the difference between natural edta and artificial interesting so they didn't know. Was it 
that it was came, came from the lab, or was it just the natural stuff that's in his blood? Do they have the technology to know now? I'm assuming they do. I would think so. And have we tested the blood again? Hmm. OJ's white Bronco had also been entered at least twice by unauthorized uh, personnel while in the impound yard. People just like who shouldn't have been in it, getting in it. The glasses which started the whole thing, Nicole's mom's glasses, Mrs. Brown's specs, um, were also entered into evidence. And while in the LAPD facility, they somehow lost a lens and no one knows where it went. Like, inadequate. Like, there could have been a fingerprint on it. On June 15th, during a day in court, the defense gets OJ to try on the gloves in question. Those, like, one yep. found here, one found there. Yeah. Um, OJ struggles to pull them on. It takes some time. I mean, he does have a career in acting, let's not forget. Let's not forget. He then holds up his hands and declares them too tight. And they do look damn tight. Like, not in, like, a Cinderella situation. Like, it's not like... The shoe it's not the stepsister it. where it's like, he couldn't get it in there at all. Yeah. Um, which brings us to one of the iconic quotes from this case. When Johnny Cochran famously shouted, If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> Everyone loves a rhyme. Yeah. It was, it was a big one. It was, like, headlines. Yeah. Then the defense began to turn their gaze on the police themselves. Do you think, just as a... Pause, I'm sorry, everybody. But do you think that you and I could could make a living creating headliner headline jokes and rhymes and and I feel and like things. I can make a living writing jingles. For and, like and for like it. lawyers and stuff to like Yeah. I think we could. We'd argue over it a lot. We, we, we should but probably we would have our get own to the solution. Yeah. We get to yeah. the best one in the end. Yeah. So if you need a tacky <laughs> say <laughs> We've got you covered. Call Robotham McKay and Marshall. Or email us at info.splanet at gmail.com. Make the call. Then the defense began to turn their gaze on the police themselves. As I told you, Johnny Cochran was famous for his defense on police brutality or racial inequality among criminals or those accused of crimes. Mm. Turns out, Detective Mark Fuhrman was a piece of shit. <sighs> the defense puts him on the stand once to testify to the crime scene and stuff, and they also casually bring up his racist leanings. Great. He denies it. Off he goes. In August, six months later, trial's still going on. They bring him back. And this time, they've got old tape recordings of him making multiple racial slurs and bragging about his support of police brutality. So not only have they proven the investigator is a racist, They've also proven that he's a liar, and he lied on the stand last time, so nothing he said is now admissible. When asked if he had falsified police reports or planted evidence in the Simpson case, he invoked his Fifth Right Amendment against self-incriminalization and did not answer the question. What? Yep. So, we've got strong evidence from the prosecution, but a lot of that evidence was collected in a very shabby way, yep. and the cop is likely very biased. So, strong defense as well. Yep. But let's remember what I told you I'd come back to. The breakdown of the jury. Yes. In polls done at the time, the majority of African Americans believed uh, O.J. Simpson was innocent. The majority of white people thought he was guilty. The jury was made up of eight black people, one Hispanic, one white person, and two mixed race. So you can see the sway. And I'm not throwing stones. I don't think they were wrong for thinking he's innocent. No. Like, they were living in a time, depending on where you live, we still kind of are, where racial bias heavily influenced the justice system. Yep. So you can see how important it would be for them to need to believe Support, he's innocent. Yeah. yeah. Especially after the sack of garbage, Mark Foreman, they're like, oh, we've heard him say that. Yeah, let's not side with that guy. Yep. Uh, and so, October 3rd, 1995, an estimated 140 million Americans listened in on a radio or watched on television as the verdict was delivered. Not unlike Splaining the Podcast. Very similar. 195 million people. 
don't listen. The rest do, which the is rest like, the other, like seven six billion. billion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, deliberating for less than four hours, the jury returns with a verdict of not guilty on two counts of murder. Not which guilty. brings us to another quote from the case: "The juice is loose," <laughs> which is the name of the Family Guy episode. Right? Yeah, where he wins the golf. Yeah. The golf to play with OJ, and he's always afraid he's going to kill him. Yeah. In the end, amidst all the evidence, the doubts cast by the sloppy police work were enough to enter a reasonable doubt. Since then, some jurors have admitted that the verdict to them was retribution for the acquittal of uh, white police officers in the beating of Rodney King two years earlier. So they're just like, you got us, we'll get you. OJ's going to get off clean. Not the best way to do no. it, but... No. Another major hurdle that was a big factor was the DNA evidence was so new at this time. True. So the prosecution failed to overcome the hurdle of the public's lack of knowledge and understanding regarding the new science. True. And the jurors agreed that the DNA testimony was difficult to appreciate since expert witnesses couldn't put their evidence in terms the jury could understand. So they were just talking above their heads because they were scientists wow. and they, they didn't understand how to talk to juries about this because no one had done it before. That seems like just such a common sense thing principal thing today to, to be yeah. like talk to your jury so they understand things yeah. if you have a witness or an expert witness then yeah. don't be an idiot yeah well it made much of that key evidence useless because the jury didn't understand it yeah even some seasoned lawyers found the testimonies incomprehensible apparently with our knowledge today and understanding of dna evidence the chance that some of the blood found near the bodies came from anyone other than oj simpson is one in 170 million The chances of it not being his. Yeah. Yeah. And the chance that the blood on Simpson's sock came from anyone other than Nicole Brown is 1 in 21 billion. And blood samples find it found inside the Bronco, which were discovered outside Simpson's home the next day, were matched to both victims and Simpson. It should have been an easy nail-in-the-coffin scenario. Whoops. But by today's standards, the DNA evidence was unclear and therefore unhelpful. So what happened to O.J.? Well, directly after the trial concluded, a civil lawsuit was filed against O.J. by Ron Goldman's parents. And this time, O.J. didn't win. A lie detector test, which O.J. had failed, was enough for the jury this time. Also, since the last case, uh, photos were discovered of O.J. wearing the shoes in question, the ones that were like the right size, and they said yeah. he probably had that make, but they couldn't find the shoes. They found pictures of him wearing them. So they knew he had that style of shoe in that size. Uh um, oh, yeah. So now they had proof that OJ had previously owned them. He was ordered to pay $33.5 million to the Goldman family. But it's civil case, so he can't go to court. Or he can't go to jail, I mean. In 2007, OJ writes another book with Pablo Finez called If I Did It. Which, puts <laughs> which is for... so silly. Oh, do you know anything about the book? I know just of its nature. Okay, well... Which is like he just writes as if he had done the murder. Well, wait. How he would do it. Yeah, kind of. Well, not even kind of. Yes, and also all of these other points I will now tell you. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so the book puts forth the hypothetical description of the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. OJ's former manager states OJ wasn't involved in their writing, but did accept money and um, did an interview with the other guy who wrote the book. To coincide, it was like he was called the ghost writer, but it came out under OJ and him. Uh, to coincide with the book's release, Fox was set to air an interview special with OJ to promote the book, but numerous owners of Fox canceled it. 
So you know it had to be bad. And Fox canceled it. Yeah. You knew it was like... Although the Fox is like super conservative white person. like. Well, yeah, true. So, you know, that's yeah. that's not really... But I feel like they're all about like, let's get on like the old smut. You know? Yeah, like it that, is also Like whatever makes good TV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the book isn't published. But why did he even agree to it? Well, apparently his oldest daughter testified that it was her idea to make some money. OJ eventually agreed. He said... I have nothing to confess. This was an opportunity for my kids to get their financial legacy. My kids understand. I made it clear that it's blood money, but it's no different than any of the other writers who did books on this case. Because OJ had no money. He spent all of it on lawyer fees during his murder case. He didn't even have enough to pay the $33.5 million he was ordered to pay the Goldmans. And so, in August of the same year, a Florida bankruptcy court awards the rights of the book that didn't get published to the Goldman family. So they changed the title to If I Did It, colon, Confessions of a Killer. And they make the if really, really small and put it inside of the I. So if you, unless you're very close to the book, it says, I Did It, Confessions of a Killer by O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Apparently, there is a whole chapter, it's like, I, I bet Ron Goldman's mom was, like, such a, oh, like... Oh, rightfully like, so. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she was just like, yes. I've got you now. Yep. Uh, and good for her. Um, apparently, it's a whole chapter dedicated to the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, which is complete fiction, um, says OJ. It's all if he had done it. In his hypothetical scenario, he is unwilling... Or he has an unwilling accomplice named Charlie who tells him to stop murdering Nicole, but OJ ignores him and keeps stabbing. It's weird. The next month, September 2007, a group of men led by OJ enter a room at the Palace Station Hotel Casino and take sports memorabilia at gunpoint. When questioned, Simpson says he did take the items, but they were stolen from him. But he denies anyone carried a gun. So he just went there to collect the stuff that somebody else stole. Three days later, he is charged with criminal conspiracy, kidnapping, assault, robbery, and using a deadly weapon. All accomplices were given plea bargains for testifying against OJ. OJ goes to prison. Sentenced to 33 years with the possibility what? of... What? Yep. Oh, they were just like, we got you now. Yeah. With the possibility of parole. After, Gave him like max fine. Yeah. After numerous appeals, he is granted parole on October 1st, 2017. He served almost nine years in prison. Following the murder trial in 1995, the trial of the century, no real effort was ever put into tracking down the real killer by police or OJ himself. No evidence has ever come to light suggesting that the killer was anyone other than O.J. Simpson. Dude! Right? Kills them. Literally gets away with it. Yeah. Gets away with murder. The expression. Yeah. Because, yeah, and all because of the tech, all because of the shitty police work. Yeah. That's really, that's the main thing. Like, that they put, should that teach that doubt. at, like, police academies. Yeah. And here are all the cases you failed. Yeah. Because and people watch this is what happens yeah. if you don't just yeah. simply follow the rules. Like, don't yeah. do shortcuts. Yeah. Like, people suck. People suck. He murdered them. Yeah. Yeah, he killed them. Yeah. There was something else I watched, um... That did this thing where this this per oh whoa 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 yeah there was a, a gentleman on a bus a mm-hmm. white man yeah going like on the subway sorry not the bus the subway okay. in New York yeah um, this is this a true story yep okay and uh, three like younger black men yeah tried to rob him right he had a gun on him yeah and shot the three of them dead 
Right. Or sorry, shot two of them. They became paralyzed. One dead. Okay. Um, or maybe two died and one was a paraplegic. Anyways, did some serious shit. Yeah. Um, I think that's the right scenario. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. And so the two of them died. That was brutal. He got charged with, or he didn't get charged because it was self-defense. They saw it as self-defense. So he never got like, it wasn't murder. Okay. Um, it might have been manslaughter, but he didn't get life. He probably got like right. 10 or 15 years or something right. like that. Okay. Um, and then the boy who was a paraplegic mm-hmm. afterwards, uh, you see the video and he likes, like he shoots him two or three times. He falls over instead of running out of the subway, yep. he goes over to him and says, this one's another one for you asshole. And yes. shoots him again while he's on the ground. And yes. that bullet was what paralyzed him. Um, and so then he had to go to a civil case yep. similar to this one, and yep. he lost the civil case yep. and had to spend like millions and millions and millions of dollars to yep. the to the boy and to yep. his family. And um, he uh, he ended up writing a book and started the on TV guy? shows. Yep. Started on TV shows and did all this kind of stuff, and he didn't make a single dime for any of it. He lives in this tiny right. little apartment because every dollar had to go to that family, right? Yep. Uh, but it's like a very mirroring situation of like, you know, you didn't get him criminally because the evidence wasn't there or whatever yeah. that is. But like, go after him civilly. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's it's the Al Capone thing. Get him on tax tax evasion. Yeah. Right? Pick him up on something and just yeah. lock his ass up, right? Yeah. 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 You, it doesn't matter what you get him for. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. It's so good. It's so good. That's creepy. But um, I didn't know much about OJ. Like, yeah. I knew that it was the, like, I just didn't really bother. I was like, it was like, it seemed to be a big pop culture thing. Yeah. Then it kind of died off. Yeah. And now it's like, it's not really talked about a whole lot. Um, it was so long ago. Yeah. But I mean, he's like, you can, <clears throat> he's putting out um, a Twitter videos Twitter all videos the time. All the time. And they're weird. He's like trying to give people advice. Yeah. And like self-motivation. You're like, uh uh-uh. We all know you killed them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild. Yeah. It's very wild. But that's what splaining is. It's wild information coming at you left, right. I was not not center because that's just a decorative pillow. A decorative pillow and a nice blanket as well. I don't hate it. Do you see how I tucked it in? I do see. And you know what? It's sweet. Thanks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that back. kind of it is great to be back. Yep. I'm happy, and uh, you know it's it's exciting because uh, this season. We have so many exciting things that are coming up. We have a, a laundry list of guest series, uh, which is exciting. When people say laundry list. No, I think it's a grocery list. No. And I just associate chore with chore. It's got a, no, I think it's a laundry list. I think you're right. Or maybe well. like when you're in a hotel and you check the little boxes of what you want done. Oh, yeah. Or Cause like, here's a laundry list. Like, who would just be do like, your towels one I day. I did and... three black shirts, a pair right. of jeans, and a joggers. <laughs> yeah. But were they sweatpants or joggers? I can't remember. <laughs> Uh, those are like that how I what is it I don't know one of those like old timey jokes like how we got to the there I'll never know one of those (laughs) yeah what's the name of his other leg what's the name of his other leg isn't it something that man named Schmidt there's some joke. It's like some joke. I think it's a dirty joke, but I'm not sure how it was dirty. I never really understood it. It's something to do with oh, like, oh, that's. Pr- I met a man with a woman wooden name. Oh no, that's not dirty. I just, I just remember what it was. I once met a man with a wooden leg named Schmidt. What's the name of his other leg? Ah, uh, yeah, it's actually very simple and surfacey. 
Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, kind of dumb. A little bit. But yeah, we have lots of guests coming, which is We've got some me. merch coming, but we're not going to tell you about it yet. No, but we do have a new line of merchandise coming, um, which is... don't know why I did that. Um, <laughs> Thank anyways, you for apologizing, though. Yeah. You, may, you may now move forward. Exactly. Uh, obviously, we have the new video section of this. You can watch us um, at your leisure. Can they? We haven't decided. <laughs> so stop saying it. Okay, all right, all right. My God. Um, so I mean, you can watch. You could just follow us on the street and watch us at your leisure. Like you could just be like, a, or just, yeah, just come to our place of work and yeah, just yeah, <laughs> stalk us. Yeah. Um, ooh, it'd be nice to have a stalker. Like it, not in principle, I don't but think like it would. not in principle, but like someone who cares about you that much. <laughs> Is that the thing? Is it a cry for help? I wish someone cared enough for me just to follow me around. Watch me eat my shredded chicken at nine in the morning. It's like, oh, this guy is way too sad. I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna watch someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's very possible. I wonder if a stalker has ever done that. I wonder if a stalker was stalking a person and then, like, while stalking Realized. them, someone who they that the person they were stalking, the stalkee, an acquaintance or friend of theirs, was like. The stalker was like, that person's more interesting. I'm going to switch to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a thing of interest because it's not like I enjoy watching this person eat shreddies. It's like it's there's an infatuation to the person, not their actions. Right. So unless you like saw someone who was like the same, unless it was just like a physical thing, you were just like physically attractive to somebody. I don't know know how. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff going on with stalkers, I'm sure. We should go find one and ask. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> She's going to be like, what? Like, yeah, what's up? Are you guys talking about me? Again, Guys, Jeff. give it up. You're supposed to love me. Are you guys talking about the Kardashians again? <laughs> we should do another episode of that. We should circle back on a couple of episodes, actually. Like we black holes, back on the black holes. We definitely like, there's uh, lots of new going. There's lots of new, uh, new stuff going on. Free Britney. There's lots of new stuff for that. Um, we could do a. a uh, Anniversary episode, not anniversary, but you know what I mean. Yeah, or less, there's got to be something new with the assassination of uh, JFK, <laughs> Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But What's he, the latest on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's CNN got to say on that? Um, but yeah, awesome. So we hope you guys are enjoying this so far, and we hope that you uh, join us again for the rest of the season every Friday. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up all all the news and all the fun stuff that's happening. If you have a topic that you'd like to send for us to explain, email us at info.splainin' at gmail.com. We hoped you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always next week. Well, I looked at you when I said that. Why'd you do that? Because I, I don't know, it felt right. Like, And if you didn't, there's always next week. But you then were that still would looking forward? Me. But that would invite me to say it with you, which I was not no, doing. No, just I wanted you to acknowledge it. Like, now, if I watch the, that video, it's just like, I'm awkwardly looking at you. You're looking directly into the camera just lens. just awkwardly smiling. I'm just like, okay, I'll just smile at you smiling. And then look back to the camera as if I didn't Well, what's, what is it actually supposed to be? We hoped you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's See, it. Yeah. See, that's it. Yeah. I was okay. selfishly just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Yep, sir. Yep, sir.